0: Hey, consume listener, before we start this episode, I think you'd better get a pair of headphones on. Yeah, AirPods will work okay, but if you have some nice cushy over ear headphones like Bose or Beats or something like that, you will be in for a treat. Okay, got them? Here we go. a bonus episode of the Consumed Podcast. I'm Jamie Lewis, and what you've been listening to is a track from the just-released record by composer Brooke Monroe. It's called Harvest in 12 Parts, and before I go too far, I'll mention that it's available to buy right now at brookmonroe.com. Brooke is a composer and a musician who works on his craft at night after he manages the wine club at Claiborne and Churchill Winery outside San Luis Obispo in the Edna Valley during the day. He has scored a number of award-winning films, but Harvest in 12 Parts is his first work to combine his daytime wine life with his nighttime music life. He recorded and produced it over the course of the 2021 and 2022 harvests, and as you can hear, it's extremely ambient and full of tension and release. If I was going to write the tasting notes for this record, I would say it has a nose of Sigur Ross, Hans Zimmer, and Explosions in the Sky, and on the palate, hints of Steve Reich, Max Richter, and Michael Nyman. I love music like this, so when he asked if we could chat, I was all over it. I'll weave parts of tracks throughout the interview, so keep those headphones on. All right, here's Brooke Monroe. Brooke Monroe, thank you so much for reaching out, giving me the the preview of Harvest in 12 Parts. Um, I was trying to think this morning why we knew each other we've never met in person I don't think correct okay so we met because I think film
1: yes I believe uh, there was a film I saw at the Sloan Film Festival and likewise yeah a couple years ago Mm -hmm. uh, that you were involved with and I think from there it it had I'm trying to remember that you don't tell me I'm gonna remember It, it had to do with the premise of Uh, was it zoning or permits in San Luis Obispo? Okay, perfect, yes. And I remember seeing that. I was like, wow, this is really fascinating and almost like just... It's disturbing. Kind of disturbing. Yeah. And makes it pretty hard for people to just establish themselves, I guess. Yes, yeah. uh, So I think from that, that's where I then...
0: Yeah, but at the same time, you had a film or maybe two even that you had scored for the festival. Did you ever have two in at the same time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I remember watching some of those. I think you reached out actually because I did the music for our film. Oh, yes. It was something right. about that and you were like, "Hey, that's interesting." Yeah. Um and then I started looking into your stuff, which is just wonderful, and I have a lot of questions cuz um how does one become a film composer did you study it in college I don't get the impression that you did so you just decided to do it
1: I just decided to do it I came from more of a rock and roll background mm-hmm. and played in bands for many years um, played a lot of local shows like what kinds uh,
0: of bands though
1: I played uh, primarily in a punk rock band called the mighty fine and oh, yes I remember that and we uh, would tour, not full time, but you know, we, we, on my vacation time, we go out and play, you know, the Midwest or, you know, the Pacific Northwest or, yeah. you know, we go down South, you know, everything like that. That's you know,
0: touring for sure. And
1: definitely touring. And, and I always really wanted to do that as a teenager. And mm-hmm. so we went from that to, um, basically, oh, uh, I think probably shortly after I got married, um, we my band had we'd been playing for gosh seven, eight years mm-hmm. and I think everyone was just so we were all starting new families and everything like that. And I I think I always had the the mindset of I'm always just gonna do this mm-hmm. until I don't love doing it. And I think mm-hmm. there was a a, a a kind of a crossroads where I felt like well this doesn't quite feel like it's what i should be doing yeah and it kind of bummed me out because that's all i knew was that's a total from 14 to from the age of 14 to you know like 28 29 i was all things you know plug my gibson Mm -hmm. you know les paul into my marshall amp and crank it up loud and you know just do my thing and and then it just wasn't exciting for me anymore. Yeah. And so.
0: That's a long time.
1: I took some time off. I took maybe, gosh, almost a year off. I just uh, r- started reading more, watching. I lo- I've always been a big fan of film. Yeah. So that's kind of where the, everything kind of went into motion was. I was watching a lot of the Blu-ray and mm-hmm. DVDs that I had. and I'd Blu-ray?
0: Watched, I, Isn't that charming now? I
1: know, right? right? <laughs> and, and, well, and, and it's funny because now it's like, I, 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 I will I would rather find it on streaming than to put, grab my disc and put it in, you know, yeah. it, it takes all but 45 seconds. No it' funny 10 seconds.
0: But you don't get the, um, the extra stuff, the extra content. You and know? the extra
1: content is what is responsible for me really figuring out that I want to be a filmmaker. Yeah and, and I say filmmaker specifically because when I was watching all this behind the scenes content, it really was like, oh my gosh. I just love what mm-hmm. you know what Spielberg's doing or Scorsese's doing mm-hmm. or Coppola's doing and 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 there's so many moving parts and yet I didn't want to be a writer, I didn't mm-hmm. want to be a director, I didn't want to be an actor and I it, it, and at the same time I'm thinking wow, you know, Star Wars is something I grew mm-hmm. up with. John Williams and his music, it really influenced me in my entire life, mm-hmm. um,
0: you know, maybe indirectly. So I think that's true of so many people, whether they know it or not. Exactly. He established a sound and a precedent for for composition, for films. And I ended up, really,
1: honestly, I just, I was <laughs> like, wow, I want I want to do this. Yep. Like, this is what I want to do. But... When you ask Oh did you go to college For this I'm thinking Oh my god I didn't go to college For this Oh
0: people who if, don't Go to college for things Have such a chip On their shoulder About it It's so funny And
1: I just th- I'm just thinking Oh my god I don't know how I do something how Like does this do How does this? one Do this And at the same time I'm also a big fan Of like Christopher Nolan And his films And same. Hans And Hans Zimmer's Scores yeah, so,
0: Inception is my favorite It's one of my top Five favorite movies But that score Is incredible
1: Inception is outstanding. Um, one of my favorite film scores of all time is The Dark Knight. And oh, Han-
0: yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard uh, co-scored that together. And mm-hmm. I just love that score. And I love how, how the music works within the context of the film and yeah. how effective it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And I'm learning about both more John Williams and his background and Hans Zimmer and his background. And they're so... Totally different. Yeah. Uh, Hans Zimmer really, I think, kind of gave, in in my mind, gave me permission, same with Danny Elfman. You know, they were rock and rollers. They were Mm -hmm. reckless. They were were coming from a non-traditional film scoring background, and then they kind of fell into it.
0: Or they decided
1: to do it. Or they decided to. And at some point, they had to kind of decide to say yes to Mm -hmm. doing it, and then it kind of took off for them. And that's what it was for me. It was like, I kind of want to learn how to do this. Now, just because you decide you want to do that and write that kind of music doesn't mean that all of a sudden you just land jobs. There are a million composers out there. Yeah. And some really good ones at all different levels, mm-hmm. and so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how do how how do I start? Mm-hmm. So, like what anyone just does, you just go to YouTube <laughs> and you start like you start just start kind University of like University
0: of YouTube, yeah. You just
1: start scraping the surface, and then you start digging deeper and start figuring out, um, start networking and talking mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. and just asking questions. And I think the biggest thing that I I learned through the beginning phases of that process was is and ultimately was you're as a writing music for film, you're in service of something larger than yourself. You're in service of a director whose vision is coming to life. You're in service of a story story. Mm -hmm. that needs to be fulfilled. And what we're doing as composers is, you know, breathing a little bit of oxygen. We're just elevating um, those moments. Mm -hmm. And I realized that what I need to do if I'm gonna meet directors and, and want them to work with me is not to reach out and be like, "Hey, do you have something for me? Do you can, mm. can do you do you have a project that I can work on?" Mm-hmm. But rather, "Hey, um, I want to be in service of you. What can mm-hmm. I do for you?" And mm. you know, check out their work and be because they're probably
0: already working on something.
1: Yeah, and and that's it. Is yeah. it's it's a long it's it's a long um, it's a long ended journey and. The long game of it is that you, you have to be patient. You have to establish these relationships. There's people that you end up working with um, just in terms of uh, you start a project, for instance, and um, that project might turn into a second or a third. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, like you've built a rapport. And yeah. they're, now they're telling their producers and their other Especially if you're on the friends. festival
0: circuit, don't you think, where it's like, you start meeting other people who are doing the same kinds of things or they see something you've done and they, they like the tone of what you've done and they have a project they're working on that could use that kind of tone
1: absolutely that's that's a huge part of it is you you have to be patient with it but you have to also be make yourself uh, available in in the context of like you know just being pliable being willing mm-hmm. being curious I think is a big part of it too is. There, there's just this inclination, at least for me, and I'm only going to speak for myself early on, especially my first couple years of going to film festivals. It's, mm-hmm. it's I, I got to get my cards to people. I got to meet mm. people. I got to, and it, it, you're almost planting too many seeds, but you're not watering. Mm-hmm. What I've learned over, you know, the, the past several years is, is more so just, you know, take a breath, mm-hmm. invest in, in your time with the people that you're here. If you're going to a, a, a mixer, so mm-hmm. to speak, there's a temptation to want to try to get into so many different people's line of Mm sight. And it just doesn't feel, at least for me, it doesn't feel honest. And I I have a hard time maintaining a relationship that way, but rather just being able to kind of sit here and, and chat and to figure out like, Hey, you know, Mm -hmm. what is it that you're, that you made? Like Mm -hmm. you put something into the world and these directors, they, they give up everything, mm-hmm. everything to put their film together, financially speaking, emotionally yeah. speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, the vulnerability to put your
0: own stuff out there is, it has to be massive. Absolutely.
1: filmmakers so much credit a lot of times as a composer depending on where you come into the process there are times where you you have to kind of step up and you're almost a therapist in a way Mm -hmm. because you have to give them the confidence to make them feel like they can get across the finish line.
0: Yeah. And, can we talk mechanics really quick? Absolutely. Okay, so so uh, you go to somebody who's working on something. Do they all... A filmmaker already has the whole thing completed and they're looking for someone to score it? That's one way. Okay. Uh,
1: another way is that they hit you up and it's like, hey, Brooke, I'm working on a script. Mm-hmm. I want you involved and can we write some music on the script level? Can oh, okay. we start, you know, thinking about... Because every director is a little bit different as far as their workflow uh, there will be films that I'll work on where the the film's already edited mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. writing the music to the picture um, sometimes that that edit has uh, temporary temp music mm-hmm. in it um, that makes it challenging because that oftentimes that temp music is not your own music and yes. now you know they've th- I think the most challenging part is when they've put music in there that's, you know, some Oscar winning score yeah. in, you know, a, a short film yeah. what, whose budget is, you know, half a percent of the music budget of what they did on the, uh, on this Oscar winning score. And, and there's just a lot of pressure to, to yeah. fulfill that. And you, you want to be true to yourself as, as an artist, but you also have a job to do. Mm-hmm. And so where's that line? And I think I feel pretty comfortable discussing. It's more of a conversation. You know, yeah. what is the line? The line The line moves. You. I, what I've learned mm-hmm. is whatever the line you think is and what is established, a lot of directors, you can convince them, not through your words, but largely with your actions. If you yeah. can prove that a, another piece of music that doesn't quite fit what their original vision was, might actually work out for the better. Yep. And sometimes it doesn't. and yeah, and, yeah. and then you... And then I have it's to... It's
0: iterative. It has to be.
1: Absolutely. And so... Um, and then there's other projects where, yes, the, the film comes to me. Uh, they did not cut it to any music. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want that to influence. They mm-hmm. they want the film to speak for itself mm-hmm. until the music comes it's in. It's like an,
0: uh, an auteur. Like, I picture... Scorsese being somebody like that. Who, totally. This is my vision where it's a very complete vision. I'm going to give it to you and you, composer, are going to you know, work for me, work for this piece.
1: For sure. I'm working on a film and, and almost this is like a third way of doing it. I am working on a feature film right now. Wow. And this project I was not approached to do. I knew some people involved with the film Um, about two years ago, I wrote a demo. Mm -hmm. I was not asked to write a demo. (laughs) I was just compelled to do it. Mm -hmm. I I wrote this 10-minute piece of music based off of just a tiny bit of footage that they had released and off their website because they had, you know, they were fundraising and doing Mm -hmm. some stuff. And I said, you know what? I just... I, w- I want to win this job and I, I don't want to ask to see if they need a composer I'm just gonna write the music because it just compelled
0: me. that's ballsy to do it. and awesome
1: and I probably spent five or six hundred dollars mm-hmm. worth of my own money um, hiring um, musicians mm-hmm. who are much better at their at their instrument than I could mm-hmm. be because I wanted the real the real thing so I wrote this piece of music that ended up being about ten minutes I sent it over, and I didn't hear anything for, gosh, almost a year.
0: Oh my word! Yeah,
1: and so I, I, I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't.
0: Did you follow up with any- them? Oh, totally. Yeah.
1: Totally. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, I'm not one Aww. to si- I'm not one to sit back, but I, I also don't want to, you know, I don't want to poke the bear too much. You but don't want I want them to be annoyed with you. Exactly, and so my, basically, my big uh, goal was to ultimately deliver something that they could use. And what it turned out was that one of my friends who was involved in the film, he was helping edit the film Mm -hmm. and he had heard the music too. And he, and he kind of took it upon himself to, even though they did not, still had not asked me to be the composer. This friend of mine used, cut up some of my music and put it in the edit of certain scenes mm-hmm. and it, and it sold the director in, in when he saw it, it's like, yeah. Oh, it, it, it makes sense. Yep. And hmm. then eventually I think about a year ago, um, I was formally asked to, to write the score. And so we started, hmm. you know, and they were still editing the film. And so I didn't get my hands on it until the spring of this year. And, um, and so, what's really interesting is that you know I'm working on a film that's almost two hours, mm-hmm. and the and the whole film is cut to temporary music. Some mm-hmm. of it is music from other composers, and some of it is my own music. Oh, wow! Which is and some of that music, you know, is going to exist as is from that demo, mm-hmm. and then some of it, it and but most of it is it that music. Was just like a like a launching point to mm-hmm. really dive into the full narrative of everything. and How so,
0: exciting!
1: Sometimes you have to you have to take those chances and those risks. Um, and I think it's just one of those. Well, when you
0: feel compelled to, I think you use the word compelled, and that is so true. There are times when the job just ain't gonna come to you, you know, and you see something that sparks that that unnameable thing in you that you want to make something. I know that feeling um, I just, I just put together something. It took me about a week and I felt so drawn to do it. And I did it. And, um, it's actually, I think going to get workshopped and used. And, um, I haven't, this is a theater thing. I haven't done theater since I was in high school. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And, um, yeah, it's really, it is one of those things where you can't help when that when that bug bites. Totally. And and I think it's And it's great when it works out,
1: you know. It's really important for those who have artistic tendencies yeah. to really have a sense of courage when they're thinking about trying something. Because mm-hmm. it is incredibly scary and overwhelming and nerve wracking mm-hmm. when you want to create something, and either A, you, you're not quite sure what that path is, or B, there's the fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always a fear of rejection, and rejection's okay because yeah. if you get rejected for one thing, I've been rejected for projects that from directors that I wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. And either A, I pitched for it and didn't get it, or B, I didn't pitch for it and I didn't get it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) And then on their next project, they reached out Mm -hmm. because I was still fostering that relationship, Mm -hmm. showing an interest in their work. And not every every director maintains a relationship with those different department heads Mm -hmm. or those different... And specialists in those different areas of filmmaking—that's um, why you see different directors work with different cinematographers. Um, mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's just a scheduling issue. Yes. And, yeah. and then that, for me, is like, okay, cool. Here's my opportunity now to you know see if I can convince them that you know working with me is uh, worth the process, yeah. worth worth checking out, and and worth fostering and moving forward with. And mm-hmm. um, that's why I love it. I work, you know, in tandem in the wine industry and
0: Yeah, I was going to get to that.
1: And this is this is really I think what m- gave me the most confidence mm-hmm. that I could get into film scoring because I did not have the musical background. That part was that part I really had to work on and learn and just invest the time in where I felt like I had a little bit of a
0: and software and equipment, feel, and, yeah. all of that,
1: all yeah. of that, and, and there was there was definitely you know, I, my first year or two in film scoring was not even scoring to picture. It was just learning the mechanics of yes. how the software works, how yep. to to write. I'm a I'm by nature I play guitar and mm-hmm. and I didn't really know how to play piano or keyboard very mm-hmm. well, and so learning that was you know, it's a a huge learning curve, but being in the wine industry now for 17 years, you, Mm -hmm. you learn in a lot of ways also that, you know, you're of service of someone else Mm -hmm. and giving them an experience and wanting them to come back and nurturing and fostering those things. So there's all these parallels Mm -hmm. and those parallels are kind of what I recognized early on, at least early enough for me to feel like, Oh my gosh, like, I might be deficient in one area, but I can learn that area, but Mm -hmm. I think I can at least communicate and give people a sense of, Hey, you know, we're in this together and I'll do what you need me to do Mm -hmm. to, to make it work.
0: With, with the wine industry. So give, give listeners some background on how that happened. How did you get into the wine industry? And has it been, has Claiborne Churchill been the wine industry for you?
1: So the wine industry part, you know, while I'm, meanwhile on the weekends, I'm playing (laughs) guitar, I'm playing in bands. I go to Cal Poly, and Mm -hmm. this is, uh, I was at Cal Poly from 2004 to 2008, Mm -hmm. and I went to Cal Poly as an electrical engineering major.
0: Oh, really?
1: Basically thought I would do that and then get hired at Marshall or Fender or Mesa Boogie. Oh, that's so cool. And and make guitar amplifiers Yeah. about maybe... Ten minutes into my first electrical engineering lab, I said, "Oh my God, I made the worst decision of my life." Yeah, I, I don't want to be in college for seven years. Yeah. I have no way I'm gonna make it. So I ended up changing my major. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to go into business because my dad was an accountant. Mm-hmm. So my dad, he still is an accountant. Mm-hmm. Thought, oh my gosh, I'm just as when you're when you're 18 years old, you
0: who you, can expect someone to make that decision? You can't
1: make these decisions uh, very. easily. Easily with with the foresight of what you'll learn later on, but you know my young brain is thinking my dad's an accountant, accounting is business, mm-hmm. business equals accounting. I'm mm-hmm. not going into business mm-hmm. because accounting. Because I don't want to do. Because I don't want to be an accountant. Yeah. And I love my dad, but I I just thought accounting was not going to be my thing. Yep. So decided well I'm gonna go into business but I'm gonna go into agricultural business Mm. it just seemed to make more sense so I get into ag business next thing you know oh my gosh here I am Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess I'm gonna move to the Central Valley and work for Mm -hmm. Foster Farms or something and then I realized that uh, at the time Cal Poly had the wine and viticulture program had a a minor Mm -hmm. and all of my uh, support classes could be taken as a minor Mm -hmm. so I could basically get a free minor without taking extra classes yeah so I did it and I'm 20 years old I don't like wine I only had my (laughs) mom's Franzia in the (laughs) in the fridge and you know everyone's had that experience and I just oh my gosh this is I think it's fascinating but I don't like it so (laughs) I'm learning about wine I study abroad in Australia in 2000s early 2007 through Cal Poly and I go wine tasting for the first time Mm -hmm. and we drink a lot of box wine over there yeah and so I'm not yet 21 I can drink over there come back still can't drink yeah but I'm actually liking wine now I'm thinking oh my gosh this might actually be something because I didn't I, I I was very much didn't want to leave home. Like, what
0: was your, what was your aha bottle though? Did something change for you in Australia?
1: No. Oh, okay. I, I think it was, there was no, there was nothing particularly aha. It was, yeah. it was more so just you do it a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, I actually kind of like this. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and I'm 20 years old. So of course I just want to drink. Yeah. So we we transition from that. I get back. And uh, I want to be in the wine industry. I Mm -hmm. decide because I'm from the Central Coast. I'm from Templeton. Mm. And I didn't want to leave too far from home. So I get an internship at Castoro Cellars Mm -hmm. in 2007. I work Harvest. (laughs) And uh, the intention always was that I would work on the business side of things, uh, not in production. But I wanted to at least have a year of what winemaking feels like before I do it. I did it. I uh, loved it. And then I moved over to the, the, the tasting room while I finished up Cal Poly. And then once I graduated, I got hired at Claiborne and Churchill. Mm. And that was uh, July of 2008. So. In what position? Uh, I w- was working on wine club. Mm-hmm. And so since then, um, while, well, you know, I still... Uh, manage our wine club uh you know i handle shipping and inventory and uh compliance Mm -hmm. you know uh, so fun get to do a lot of really (laughs) really fun things no but
0: honestly i know that you do get to do fun things but compliance is not a fun
1: thing. no it's definitely uh one of the least fun things you can do uh in any business is you know filing you know and, and so i I think it's just th- this industry it, the wine industry has evolved so much mm-hmm. um over the last 15 years especially over the last like three or four years uh, for yeah. for obvious reasons but um all of that really was in tandem when i'm saying i'm going on tour i'm working at claiborne and churchill and then i take a two-week vacation and i yeah i go on tour and then i come back and those tours were crazy because i didn't not want to get Paid, you know, I'd get paid vacations, but Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I wasn't willing to give up extra time to not get paid. Yeah. And being in a punk rock band, you don't get paid very much to be gone. So what we would do is we'd maximize all our weekends and Mm -hmm. maximize all of, I'd work extra days and accrue extra time later on so I could go tour more. And we would do these crazy things where we'd do like a two week tour and, you know, I we our last show would be in San Diego after the two weeks, and then you know the it would be a Sunday night, at a ten o'clock show, and then we would drive home, and then you know we get back at like four in the morning mm-hmm. from San Diego, and then I'd be at work at ten. Yep,
0: and, and I, I was would gonna just gonna say, and then you're getting up,
1: and then you're getting up, and you're you're because young
0: people are dumb; they can do that no. kind of thing. <laughs> We, they we can totally do that kind did. Of thing.
1: We totally did, and that was the biggest, uh, the biggest <laughs> thing that I could not do now was yeah. was that, and I'm glad I did it. It really showed me the uh, kind of a DIY ethos too. Yeah. It really instilled this idea that like if you want to do something, you just got to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's gonna be given to you. Now you mm-hmm. might find people who support you in that and will help you collaborate and whatnot. But yeah, ultimately, um, if you want it, you have to come up with it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And so that that was, that was the big the big thing that I learned through that. So all of this has kind of been my musical life and yeah. my. Uh, They've
0: been running tandem, parallel. Exactly. Well, then it sounds like they really are parallel and and never the two shall meet until very recently then. <laughs> yes. So, so I mean the whole reason that we're talking is you've put together an LP of um 12 tracks yes. that are well, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'll tell you what my impression is is that they are glimpses into the harvest musically speaking, but you've also so they are like portraits each of them I suppose of maybe a different point in time during harvest different different um, actions that have to get taken throughout it but you've introduced sound in really uh, in really new ways so you have things that are like you make music out of the sounds that come about through harvest that's correct am i right
1: that, you're right 100
0: percent right okay, good. Man, well be- then that's that's kudos to you for having a good you have a good um marketing sense with this then <laughs> if it worked for me that's great and it's absolutely beautiful i'm looking at the lp now your artist is really something thank you um but it's an it's beautiful i've been listening to it since we talked maybe a month ago. I've played it for my kids. I'm like, this guy's amazing. (laughs) It's really of a quality that you don't see. I shouldn't say this, but there's a quality here that is very, it's high level. Thank you. Um, And it's obvious that you have taken risks to put this thing together. You know what I mean, and uh, that's and that's the best stuff is the stuff where somebody takes a risk.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I, I really I'm glad it resonates with you Big and, swings and with your kids. Uh, this album is really meant for anybody who enjoys music, mm-hmm. art, wine, um, the whole the whole idea of why.
0: Yeah, I, why? Why the
1: why? The why, of, the why <laughs> of it all is is. A couple things. Uh, curiosity. Mm-hmm. I'm curious with sound. Since I really transitioned from the early days of my composing work was just how do I write like John Williams? How do I write like Hans Zimmer? Yep. To more so of of how do I write like Brooke Monroe? And, yeah, yes. And, and, and a big part of that was the exploration of sound in non-traditional means. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the projects that I work on They explore the, not only what you can do with instruments in traditional ways and untraditional ways, you know, if Mm -hmm. we, you know, can we, can we plug a guitar into a refrigerator and make something cool out of it? Yes, no, maybe so. You know, it's looking at limitations and, and finding the creativity out of that. And then just finding sounds, you, anything can be musical,
0: I'm thinking of Tom Morello with a a blender against the guitar strings. Yes. And how well it worked. But you know that guy was messing with a lot of stuff that did not
1: work. Totally. And so, you know, I've I've got a barrel here next to me and, you know, it's, it's, that doesn't really excite me as is, (laughs) but, you know, I bet if we go into the cellar and we, you know, clank on some empty barrels or some tanks or we fling wine glasses, I think it's just a matter of training the ear to figure out what you're what you're listening for, Mm -hmm. because there's music everywhere. Uh, Walking through the vineyard, you hear the birds. Mm -hmm. Birds have a very musical tone to it. And there's a couple tracks on this album.
0: You hear birds where you hear birds. Mm
1: -hmm. And that wasn't in it wasn't intentional. Like, oh, my God, I need birds in the album. But it was more so. The birds are part of this experience. It's part mm-hmm. of the environment. And ultimately what ended up happening was about two years ago. Because this has been a long process. Yeah. I started this. It's two
0: harvests two, that you recorded over.
1: That's correct. Yeah. I, I started in 2021. I, I remember the moment where I decided I was going to make the album. I'd already been recording sounds from the winery and... Mm-hmm. not for an album but for, for other projects that I work on just so if I could distort them or tune them mm-hmm. or well, for horror or thriller kind of music um, <laughs> but I was mowing the lawn
0: I love- stories like this i love it somebody uh, who pays attention so
1: i'm mowing the lawn in july of 2021 and you know i run out of gas so meanwhile i've got my earbuds in and i'm listening to an album called async Mm -hmm. by the japanese composer uh Ryuchi sakamoto Mm -hmm. who recently passed away and it's a very experimental album. You can actually watch um, a fascinating documentary about the making of that album and a lot of what he was going through with his life with stage four cancer at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's called, the the documentary is called Coda mm-hmm. and it's definitely worth the watch. Okay. But he's making this beautiful album uh, and, and he's very much in it. Uh, uh, he loves exploring with sound as well. And so I'm listening, I'm listening to this, uh, track called Walker. And you hear him walking through what sounds like a forest. Mm -hmm. And so you hear the actual environment around and then music starts coming in. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, like, I just love this idea. I, I'm so familiar with the different sounds from the winery. Mm -hmm. Why could we not just like immerse (laughs) ourselves? in that Mm -hmm. and what if we made a we isn't me (laughs) make a whole album Mm -hmm. where we can marry these two worlds together wine and and um and music i've often when i talk to customers and we're talking about the winemaking process you know for many years i've always found this analogy uh, analogy to be really fascinating where a winemaker and, and and a songwriter really are quite similar mm-hmm. you're 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 taking certain variables that you know are particular to yourself that you get to imbue your own artistic mm-hmm. um you know ventures into for instance if i know four chords mm-hmm. uh That you know, Mm -hmm. on, let's say, it doesn't matter what instrument it is, but let's say we're all, we're all going to play the same four chords. Well, you get to, now, now you're going to, and let's say we both play guitar and but you have a different guitar and a different amp and a different you like to put your settings differently mm-hmm. than I do mm-hmm. well just because we're playing those same four chords it doesn't mean we're playing them in the same order they can
0: sound very different yes that's right. the same yeah. rhythm
1: the same length and space between every time we hit those notes mm-hmm. the way that we play the rhythm of those things mm-hmm. so now you've taken one one element and we're now we're expanding it It mm-hmm. very much the same if, you look at someone. Let's take a, pot, a, a, a well-known vineyard, Bien mm-hmm. and dozens of wineries mm-hmm. and winemakers love working with Bien the 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 fruit quality is really high, mm-hmm. but
0: each block is very different. They make a big deal about the blocks. The blocks
1: are different, and yeah. even if you even if you have three or four winemakers who are pulling from the same block, well, now once once that fruit's picked. It's it's the expression of the winemaker, um, which may or may not be an extension of the winery that they're representing, or if it's their own, yeah, you know they have full full dictation of what they want to do. But you know how how are we processing it? Mm-hmm. Are are we going to you know select you know how how particular are we getting with the, with the 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 processing? Are we going to You know,
0: are we going to do stem? Are we going to do whole cluster? Well, and it goes back before picking. Oh, totally. Pick time is a massive part of it and how it's farmed and everything. But you're so right. There's like a you're working with basic variables. Yeah, 100 percent. And you have these basic variables
1: that ultimately through every stage of the process, you now have someone who's getting to give part of themselves Mm -hmm. and there's always limitations too right I don't have an infinite amount of money I don't have (laughs) an infinite (laughs) amount of time or resources so I get to make something within the context of what I'm trying to do Mm -hmm. under all of these limitations that I have and so my my thought was this album it really was a celebration of 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 what I would consider potential Mm mm-hmm of this idea that hmm. we may start at a certain spot and we get to go on this journey and we may arrive somewhere mm. that we never thought we'd get to. Mm-hmm. This album was not meant to come out in 2023. It was co- meant to come out in 2022. Mm. I recorded a plethora of sounds. And when I mean sounds, you know, if we get into the real mechanics yeah. of it, I have spreadsheets of hmm organizing my sounds because if, if I don't organize, I won't find anything. So I have to,
0: uh, so you have like a, a catalog of sounds, Mm -hmm. a catalog
1: of sounds. I, you know, it was filing all of the sounds and putting them in a spreadsheet so I could figure out, okay, I split it up between organic sounds, Mm -hmm. meaning, you know, the sounds of, of walking through the vineyard of, um, you know recording the, the the leaves or you know moving shoots around or
0: press things falling into the
1: yeah grabbing grape clusters yeah. uh anything like that the the birds mm-hmm. then you've got uh, what i would call mechanical yeah uh, so that's the forklift the yeah. crusher to that's you know uh, hitting wine barrels or stainless steel tanks And then I'd have one called performative, Mm -hmm. which would be like, okay, taking an actual instrument, Hmm. um, recording that instrument within the construct of, you know, did I, I would take uh, in a 4,500 gallon empty tank, you know, I could take a, you know, a a violin and play a single note on a violin and it's got this reverberation to it. How'd you get in there though? I just, I don't go all the way and I just, (laughs) you know, you've. I, I, there, there, there's we 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 filmed some real fascinating stuff that that I think people will get to see uh, coming up. But I'm up sure
0: here. that the uh, violin resonating inside a would you say 4,500 gallon tank? Mm-hmm. I bet that's really interesting.
1: There are so many interesting sounds, and then it becomes an exploration, right? Mm-hmm. Because now you have so many
0: sounds, but you don't necessarily have songs. So that's what I was I was going to say is we're talking about sound a lot, but honestly it does wind up being music. And it's so funny. The difference between music and sounds is probably another discussion. But for the listener who's like, I don't want to listen to sounds, don't worry. It is, it is music.
1: Yeah. It all
0: gets, it all comes together. It really does. And I think
1: that how it comes together is, is through the act of patience because I recorded all of these sounds through the harvest of 2021. And then post harvest i started curating these sounds and Mm -hmm. processing them so there's a lot of post recording processing that i do Mm -hmm. um both with analog gear i i feed the signals through um effects pedals through Mm -hmm. tape loops um and then put them back into the computer, or I just do direct to computer mm-hmm. um, processing for anyone that are musicians. I use Logic, and so yeah. I, Logic is my main DAW. And then I I have a plethora of, of plugins that I
0: mm.
1: can then further manipulate um, those source sounds. So a lot of times you know you hear the sounds and while there are moments in, throughout the album where you you can pick out what it is mm-hmm. you hear what well, more often than not a lot of the musicality if if it's not an instrument that you're familiar with it might sound like a synthesizer yeah, yeah. of sorts those were all coming from sounds from the wind
0: okay so so sometimes it almost sounds like um, like a synth orchestra but you're saying that that is actually, it comes from organic sound that you've manipulated. Correct.
1: So sometimes blend with truly traditional instruments. Yes. And so this is is where I think things took a real turn was originally, I think my original idea was that the album itself was going to be solely organic and mechanical sounds from the winery Mm -hmm. and of Harvest Mm -hmm. and expressing it through Harvest. What happened was after I was processing all of these sounds, I was really happy with the sounds. I started. I wrote probably two of the album, two of the songs on on Harvest in twelve parts uh, came pretty quickly after that twenty twenty one Harvest. Um, what ended up happening though was shortly after that it was the holidays, and then after mm-hmm. the holidays, my film slate picked up. Mm -hmm. And so from January of 2022 until about July, I had no time to work on this album.
0: Yeah, that's a long time. And
1: I had meant for the album to come out in the fall of 2022. Mm -hmm. Well, bad news. When you're in July and you have one and a half songs written, (laughs) you're not going to make a deadline for Mm -hmm. 2022 uh, release. So I decided, you know what? There's quite a few things that I wish I would have recorded that I just Or I didn't think about at the Mm -hmm. time, so said, "Hey, you know what? Let's do one more harvest. I've already waited one year. Yeah, let's do this again. This time, we'll get a film crew in, and so
0: non-vintage. It's not. It's a non-vintage record, exactly. (laughs) And
1: and so it gave me time to really establish what is it that I'm trying." to do like yeah. what w- what am i trying to say with this album mm-hmm. and what i really felt like i was missing or, or yearning for was the human element mm-hmm. to the album the performative components to mm-hmm. it because even though we did a little bit of that in 2021 almost all of the you know we, we hear violin guitar cello uh a full orchestra that was all recorded in in you know the 2022 and in early 2023 as well um and that's where the expression started to come out was like oh my gosh this is what i want i'm really really excited um the
0: cello parts what's his name
1: so I have, I have three cellists that work oh, on this okay. album. Oh, yeah. Uh, so l- there's one local cellist, uh, Bob Leapman.
0: Yeah, who yes. who, um,
1: I who I think a recognize. lot of the local San Luis Obispo community will be familiar with. He's yeah. a fantastic cellist. Yeah. Uh, we recorded him both uh, in the vineyard. So mm-hmm. that was one of the really exciting things was recording actually in the vineyard. Yeah. So you're recording him performing, but also you're getting the, the, the outdoor sounds from that. yes. And then beyond that, you've got—he uh, he did come to the studio because there was some. There were some things that, because it is harvest time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I just can't re- record everything when I want. No.
0: Uh, well, and there's—it's busy. And, and it's busy, I was and thinking and- Claiborne and Churchill should be on the credits here because they—they—they <laughs> they, and- they make. It's hard. You have to slip in wherever you can. I do. And,
1: and and Claiborne and Churchill most definitely gets a lot of credit and they are in the credits because, uh, with, without, without the winery, I none of this would have been possible at all. And this album in a lot of ways is emotional because it's an expression of my experience Mm -hmm. here at the winery for 15 plus years. And so being a part of this, like my interpretation of what Harvest is like and what winemaking and being in this industry is like is is unique to me. Yeah. Uh, just like it's going to be unique to anyone else. And I would encourage, I would encourage anyone who, who makes music to make their own Harvest album. Yeah. Because I'd love to hear it. It, yeah. it would be, it would be totally different than what mine would be. Um for, for me in this journey, uh, it w- wasn't until I was recording the second harvest in 2022 that I realized, oh, you know what if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go all out. I really want a vinyl yep. um, co- you know I, I want to release it on a vinyl format. Um, you know and, and it's really important to, to have artwork that I really love. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I got I commissioned an artist that I really love, mm-hmm. Jenna Hutton, who's local, I've known mm-hmm. since high school. And uh, she just does killer work. And so we collaborated. And on the artwork, uh, she actually uses our runestone Pinot Noir to paint with. She oh, my She uses coffee. She uses turmeric. And so she's doing oh. a lot of the same things that I do, yeah. making the music. She's Playing. making the cover art. Yep. And, um, you know, the, I think the probably the biggest challenge for me, beyond just p- spending two years putting it all together, was once we got to the end of harvest 2022 it was about December and I'd already had chunks of songs I had probably eight or nine song ideas mm-hmm. at that point like okay cool mm-hmm. I I've, I've I've planted seeds now it, I, I had to close my books no I did not do any film scoring for about three or four months mm-hmm. because if if I if I did and I did what I did the previous year I was just going to push it off. Mm-hmm. And I also knew uh, my wife and I um, just had uh, twins in March. Holy cow. And so I knew I had a... And de- you
0: put out a record.
1: And, I kn- and, and you work
0: a job. It's incredible.
1: And I knew that I had to have this album completed mm-hmm. by the end of March when mm-hmm. our twins were arriving. We already have uh, two older girls. Oh but gosh. with these twins coming... Everything was going to slow down. I'm
0: Everything. sorry, you have four children.
1: Yes, I have a seven-year-old, an oh. almost five-year-old, and now six-month-old
0: twins. That's incredible. So, so, like, I'm sorry to to interrupt you, but when something wants to be born, I'm not talking about people, but when a project wants to be born, like, it it will do it. Right. It will stop at nothing. Yeah, and, and, and
1: we... I think the the most important thing that I've learned in, in that regard is just, you know, is communication, having a good... If my wife was not supportive of this project, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have done this project. Yeah. 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 I, I had full support. She knew what this meant for me. Mm-hmm. And so it really was, you know, it was a team effort in that for sense. Sure, yeah. Um, because, you know, we had I think four or five false alarms with our going to the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, doing all of that. Meanwhile, Trying to record musicians, trying to get things mixed. I mixed a little over half the album, and then I I worked with a fantastic uh, mixer by the name of uh, Michael Gossard, and he mixed uh, several of the songs on this album as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, trying to get that done, getting it mastered, getting all of the components to get it released on vinyl. There's a little, there's a different mastering process to that. And so, as we're trying to figure and sort all that out, you're really trying to figure Figure out what makes the most sense for everybody yeah. involved uh, in your life, <laughs> and so yeah, it's it's it uh, is a team effort. It's definitely a team effort, and what I'm really excited for is just for people to, I think, just sit back, mm-hmm. put on the music, either on a turntable, or you know, on Spotify or iTunes or Bandcamp or yeah. wh- whatever whatever medium works for them, and just like immerse themselves spend 40 minutes and just kind of go on this journey because it's a it's a sonic journey for sure
0: okay so I'm gonna ask you what everybody gets asked if it was your last day on earth and you wanted to celebrate because you've done because you put out a record you have scored these films and you've supported a family of six which oh my gosh um, and you have your ag business degree (laughs) what would you eat what would you drink and who would be there
1: um what would i eat what i what would i drink i would eat ice cream nice um i would probably yeah some ben and jerry's i would probably drink something cold i don't care what honestly (laughs) it could be could be some dry riesling it could be uh you know, it could be a Guinness. It could be uh, some ice water.
0: Guinness. You're or, being affected by the weather right now. Probably. It's I think it's
1: I, I, hot. I think so, for for sure. <laughs> um and, Ice cream
0: and cold drink.
1: And, and, you know, I think ultimately uh, if it was my, what was it was last day on earth. Yeah. I would just find a way to, f- you know, with my family to just feel a sense of stillness. Mm-hmm. Because I think uh, that's the thing I probably long for. The thing that I sacrifice the most yeah. is the sense of calm, trying to do everything else. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big priority for uh, myself once this next project is done is just um, when, when I'm done with releasing this album and I'm done with fe- this uh, feature film that I'm working on. Mm is especially which will land around the holidays is just like after holidays 2023 is just spend a little bit of time on myself and my family and, mm-hmm. and in a way where I'm not just going from point A to point B you project, know, to project, project to project, uh, function to function, event mm-hmm. to event. Um, and just seeing what that's like for a little bit that stuff's uh,
0: important for creativity I, too
1: I say you know a couple months it'll probably last a couple weeks if I'm lucky and then I'll get and then I'll get the itch to, to start the next thing
0: but but taking time off serves these projects too so 1000 I wish that for you you are so great and I'm so excited for the journey that this is going to begin for you putting out your own stuff so thank you so much I appreciate thanks Jamie for coming
1: on. awesome thank you
0: How cool was that? I love coming across new music like this, especially when it's made by someone I can find in the Claiborne and Churchill Tasting Room just down the road. Definitely check out Under the Harvest Sky by Brooke Munro wherever you like to get your music. And to buy it on vinyl, visit BrookMonroe.com. That's it for this bonus episode of the Consumed Podcast. It's been produced and edited by me, Jamie Lewis, with music from Under the Harvest Sky by Brooke Munro. The next season releases December 1st, See you then.